Welcome to the Classic Car Corner Podcast. We are glad you can join us today. Our guest this evening is one of the most recognized and influential names in the history of motorsports. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is sponsored by Springdale Automotive, the next generation in car care. Locally owned, professionally operated, whatever you drive, we service. Domestic, Euro, hybrid, electric, classics, and diesel. Springdale's classic car services include maintenance, repair, and diagnostics. Five convenient neighborhood locations. How we may be of service. I'm Jason Painter, and co-hosting today is John Lockhart and Eric Menzel. And today we welcome racing icon Mr. Mario Andretti whose long racing career wins, awards, and public service has made him a legend in the automotive world as we know it. Mr. Andretti has had 111 career wins, is a four-time IndyCar national champion, Formula One world champion, Daytona 500, and Indianapolis 500 winner. Mr. Andretti, it is a great pleasure, privilege, and honor to have you here this evening, and thank you so much for joining us here today. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we want to dedicate this podcast in loving memory of your wife, Deanne, your brother, Aldo Andretti, and your nephew, John Andrew Andretti. Um, our, goal, our goal here this evening is to ask you questions that you may or may not have been asked before, and there is certainly no format other than just general questions to have fun with. And I want to start off with something you had said in one of your documentaries and that is, if everything is under control, you aren't going fast enough. So please, sir, tell us your experience about pushing the limits on the cars you've raced. Well, the correct quote is, uh, if everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. Ah, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thanks for the correction. <laughs> Every quote has to be exactly to the point. That's yes, right. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, um, when, uh, I was, uh, uh, with the, uh, you know, with, with one of the, uh, the editors, I was, uh, we were doing the, uh, the, the book, uh, you know, in 1994, you know, that when, what's it called? <laughs> the book Andretti, you know, that, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, the, illustrated my career and, mm -hmm. and, uh, so, uh, the writer, you know, says to me at one point, he says, that, explain to me qualifying, qualifying a race car. And that, that's exactly what I say. If everything seems under control, you're just not going ah, to you. <laughs> you just leave nothing on the table. You got to be <clears throat> uh, set a record, for instance, uh, uh, you, the, whatever lap sets the record. It's a lap that you probably, in your own mind, feels you feel that you can never, you cannot repeat it. Oh, so you've okay. just really gone to the edge and uh, and got away with it, and that's how records are set. Yes, sir. Uh, I've got a question for you regarding uh, something about. Can you speak up just a little bit more, please. Yes, sir. Uh, is this better? Yeah, a little bit better. Yeah, you sound like you're a. You sound like you're in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> there you go. Sometimes should... we struggle with technology. Yeah, that's right. Jason gave me a can with a string attached to it, and hopefully I'm closer <laughs> to him now. There you go. <laughs> uh, when it comes to racing, what is it to you that brings you back to it? Is there a certain sound or smell or something that brings that excitement when you hear or see racing today? Well, for me, you know, as a race driver, it's uh, – 
just being in it, you know, just uh, doing the, the real thing, not just uh, dreaming about it or, uh, or trying to emulate something. Um, you know, my entire career, I mean, it's something I always look forward to, uh, uh, to getting back in a car because uh, every time you got into that race car, you know, uh, your job is to take that animal to the limit. And, uh, and so it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, you know, you have to be one to just looking forward to that challenge, which I always was, uh, was just a, the type of rush that I obviously could not, certainly could have never gotten doing anything else. <laughs> That's uh, right. But, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, you, you never get enough of. I know ne- I certainly never did. Um, I pushed the envelope as long as I could career-wise. Uh, why? I didn't have to uh, drive a race car until I was 54 years old, you know, um, at that level. But um, but I I did because I just love, love driving. And I, uh, like I said, I just uh, pushed that envelope as far as I could go, you know. And, and, and I was always afraid not to be, you know, to uh, end my career. You know, because I wasn't competitive, and I didn't want to uh, have that memory of my career, and I feel that uh, I was still competitive at that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won my last race the year before mm-hmm. at age 53 in Indy cars, and and um, even my very last race, I was uh, you know I was I was quick, and I was actually running third when the engine blew almost ah. close to the end. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway. But it's always, uh, you know, it's the challenge that really um, uh, motivated me always. Uh, and that's it. I mean, uh, you talk about, you know, the smell, the w- whatever, you know, uh, is around, uh, you know, our, our environment. It's, it's all obviously attractive. But, um, you know, just to get in that cockpit is, uh, is all that I, oh, sure. know, that, that I really wanted. Yeah, and this kind of question kind of goes along with that. So over your long and distinguished career, you've raced in the most challenging and competitive racing series all over the world. What is the biggest technology leap do you feel that has had the greatest impact on, well, let's go with my favorite series, which is Formula One racing? Well, I think when you uh, talk about what really gave, uh, you know, gave us... uh, uh, the performance, the, the the biggest kick in performance was uh, uh, the, the, the development of aerodynamics. Um, uh, that's um, you know that's stronger than anything. You know, stronger than having uh, you know more horsepower. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that's always a good one. But uh, um, you know, you have straightaways and you have corners and. Uh, and uh, the faster you go through the corners, usually that's where you get your lap time. Uh, just about anything will go faster or straight away. So sure. um, that's it. It's the evolution of the aerodynamics. Uh, and, you know, I was uh, uh, so fortunate, in, in, you know, to, to have been part of uh, uh, the, the first experiment of, um, you know, uh, ground effect. That was with uh, uh, Mr. Chapman. Formula One, yeah. which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is what uh, has really uh, evolved over the years in every uh, discipline, pretty much, you know, except, you know, like dirt tracks or something. But 
uh, all the major disciplines, uh, you know, uh, well, especially sports cars and, and uh, open wheel in the uh, and some of all the other series, uh, you know, ladder series up to the to the top level. They all they all implement this um, ground effects, which uh, again, you know, just gives you uh, the ability to um, you know to to really. Uh, perform uh, through the corners, you know, and and from a driver's standpoint, that that's what gives you uh, uh, the most satisfaction, you know, because mm-hmm. that's the whole trick, sure. you know, just to, to to corner as quickly as possible. That's where you get all of uh, uh, that's where you know the skills come in and everything else. I remember uh, vaguely remember back in 1978, I was just a young chap, as we all were. Uh, as you won the Formula One championship, but I had a Tyco racing, electronic racing that I used to put on, uh, build the tracks out in my parents' living room. And I remember wanting to be Mario Andretti. (laughs) I would take the bodies off the cars so they look like Formula One cars instead of the little top-heavy cars. I got you, right. So they always go around the track (laughs) a little bit faster. There you go. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. Mr. Andretti, uh, when you're cornering, as you were just mentioning, and obviously if we take, for example, the Lotus 79 that uh, I believe you worked with uh, Colin Chapman on on the down forces, um, what was your experience like with the the new type of feel of that downforce uh, hitting that car and the way it was designed? And roughly how many Gs does one experience uh, on these turns, sir? Well, you know, it, it gets to the point that, um, you know, once we uh, we sort of refined, oh, the, not just we, you know, when the, all the teams uh, had a chance to work with um, aerodynamic packages, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years later, you know, we, we were pulling up to 6Gs, you know, oh, in wow. uh, certain corners, that's and uh, yeah. it got to be almost ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when, uh, and then, you know, progressively, um, uh, the technical side of uh of uh, the, the disciplines, you know, they had to start regulating, you know, the, um, uh, the, the you know, the regulating the, or put the, you know, just rules where you limit, you know, what you can do as far as the creating more downforce and all of that, and right. and that's all in place uh, uh, today. Uh, you could uh, probably create enough downforce that uh, just about anybody could drive it through the corners fast um, and then but there's always a limit and uh, and until you reach the limit and then but if you go uh, if you go that fast that much you know the capability you don't have a feel when there's going to be a breakaway the breakaway could be so violent that uh, you know it could create oh, just sure. uh, mm-hmm. incredible uh, situations, crashes, and so forth. So, yes, uh, the the downforce aspect is is such that uh, you still feel the car. You still get to the point where you get to limit. You still feel just before you get a quick breakaway. And uh, so there's you know a lot of work goes into this. Uh, you know the ruling aspect uh, for all the disciplines, and um, and that's where it is today. And, and quite honestly. Um, you have to have it to the point that, that uh, uh, the, the driver becomes a factor too, so the car just doesn't drive itself around the corners. Sure, you right. You know, so you, you still got to keep it a sport, 
and uh, and I think all of uh, you know IndyCar, Formula One, all the disciplines are doing a great job uh, on that on that level, you know, on that situation. Uh huh. And when it comes to the downforce and the different settings of the car, is there any one course that you drove that would be any more uh, more or less of a dramatic change in settings than another? Uh, like settings for Indy versus, uh, oh, I don't know, another Laguna Seca, Laguna Seca, or another fast track. Well, uh, I'm not sure. I'm 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 hearing all the question, the entire question. But I think uh, you're asking me where the this, the downforce uh, play the biggest role. Is that what you're saying? Well, is there any one track that had more of an impact on the downforce? Uh, like Indy car versus a formula track. Well, you know, uh, it's uh, it all depends. You know, radius of corners. Uh, the longer radius in a corner, that the the, uh, the more effective the downforce can be. Uh, I can't, you know, right. offhand. I can't tell you. Oh, yeah, you know, downforce really paid off uh, here rather than there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's um, it, it's 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 something that. Uh, some tracks, like you know, if you look at uh, Silverstone, for instance, got a lot of uh, very high-speed corners, mm-hmm. and and that's where the downforce gives you the most, you know, as far as payback mm-hmm. in speed, and uh, you know the uh, the faster basically the corner can be, you know, the the, the more payback you get as far as lap time. Oh, that's how good. you have to look at it. Uh, it's um, you know the slow corners are pretty much you know it is what it is, but mm-hmm. uh, it's the high speed corners where you get a lot of downforce. Where unless you had that help, you know that uh, you know the aerodynamic help, uh, you know you would lose a lot of time, and then and so that the the downforce aspect again you know is the part that gains you the lap time and uh, and that's where you get the most kick out of it too as a driver so a lot of that is your input with the team and setting up each car for each specific racetrack you can that just you're speak racing. a little louder i can <clears throat> hardly hear you so the setup is going to be based on uh, your the driver input and your engineers as far as setting up for each racetrack well yeah, everything. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, the setup of the car is always a key factor. It's it's about obtaining balance, um, and uh, and without sacrificing, you know, uh, like if you can put a lot of downforce. Also, you know, like a lot more. Um, you cannot do anything with the ground effect, but uh, the the way you change the downforce aspect is uh, with the uh, surface wings. Mm-hmm. Rear wing, and then you balance with the front. But uh, um, you try to get away with the least amount of uh, rear wing because that that penalizes you on the straightaway. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the trick usually to just uh, have a the proper compromise. And yes. uh, and so you know it's uh, something that uh, the engineers usually they give you the number, you know, that, uh, as far as the drag factor mm-hmm. and, um, and so there's a trade off everywhere, you know? So, um, and like I said, that's, uh, it's not a, a formula that's specific. Uh, it's, uh, it's just whatever the driver needs 
you know, for the style of driving and all of that. So there's many elements to that aspect of it. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, the race cars are, you know, a crazy animal. You know, it's mm -hmm. got so many adjustments. Mm -hmm. uh, when you put more downforce, obviously then you need stiffer springs. And then you need stiffer springs, and then that means that you are going to be doing a little more sliding on the slow corners. And uh, so, like I said, it's a, there's some it's give and take. Compromise of, uh, of damping and uh, and all of the things that uh, I think it helps a lot from a driver's standpoint, also to understand the suspension dynamics. Also, mm -hmm. you know if. Uh, if you leave it all to the engineer, there's, uh, you know, okay, they have data, but there's a lot more gas. The engineer doesn't feel what you feel. So um, it's very important to have a good driver-engineer relationship and understanding mm -hmm. of what you're talking about. Uh, that's another thing, a trick that uh, makes all the difference ultimately, sure. um, you know, to have uh, the proper function in the team. Um, not all drivers are the same, and neither are all engineers. Um, yeah. I look back at, uh, you know, my days, my experiences uh, with various engineers, and uh, and I can, you know, the ones that really, really understood what I was saying, you know, what I was saying, that if we had that relationship or that understanding, uh, really, really, um, you know, I got the best out of it, out of them, and mm -hmm. and uh, but uh, I I knew I tried to know as much as possible what I really wanted, mm -hmm. rather than just relying. Hey, the car's doing this and that. What do you do? I just uh, I, I would ask about you know what I need to do, and 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 so uh, again, you know, I uh, I can give you an engineer that's probably the best engineer right now uh, as far as we know that, <laughs> that yeah. has been in Formula 1 in the last 30 years or more is uh, Adrian Newey. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, wow. He was my engineer in the 80s, uh, you know, an IndyCar and just uh, uh, phenomenal time. And unfortunately, it was only with me one season, but uh, <clears throat> I really had fun with him, <clears throat> mainly because... Uh, He's really uh, he 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 has a lot of the he uses a lot of practical knowledge on top of obviously uh, you know going uh, you know he just knows all the other aspects of it but uh, uh, you have to have practical knowledge to put put it all together because um, you know there's formulas and a lot of things that you learn in engineering and all that mm -hmm. but. Uh, if you have both of that knowledge, then, you, then you're complete. Uh, the driver needs to have engineering knowledge, and the engineer needs to have driver knowledge, so you can have that conversation. Yep. yep. Of the many different race courses you have raced during your career, do you have that one circuit where you just feel the most comfortable? That one track that you know when you get on it, you're just going to own it, and you own it every time you race it. There's probably many. Well, there's probably many yeah. tracks like that. But do you have that one particular that really sticks out in your in your career? Well, there's some tracks, obviously, that um, uh, you like more than others. Uh, it's a natural thing. I mean, uh, uh, for road courses, uh, usually <clears throat> drivers always favor 
tracks where you can do, uh, it's got places for overtaking. Uh, there's some tracks where, you know, you have those features, um, to give you, for instance, in, 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 in the States here, uh, to me, uh, the most satisfying, uh, a road course in here in the United States is Elkhart Lake, you know, Road America. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Because you have at least five different areas where you can do overtaking. And uh, no matter where you start in that race, you feel you have a chance. And there are other places where it's so difficult to pass that, uh, you know, obviously uh, track position is king. And uh, it's easier to defend your position. Um and it's great if you uh, you know if, if you're fighting for you know if you're fighting for the lead you know uh, on the track where you can defend your position you have a tough time and you know so again that's the way I looked at it <clears throat> um, you know Alcar Lake here um, there you know, as far as uh, in Europe, uh, you know, places you could overtake like Monza is one, and, uh, and it's, you know, but it's 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 hard to uh, just pick one, quite honestly. Uh, right. But that's what you look for. You look for uh, places where you can overtake. I wish and they the, had more. And the ovals the same way. Right. Uh, everybody, you know, any driver that has ever really driven. Uh, a short track in an Indy car, you know, we every, we all love Milwaukee, which is not active at the moment. Why? Because, man, you could just pass inside, outside. It was really fun driving. And um, so that, that's, what, uh, that's what we usually prefer as drivers. Oh. Very cool. Very cool. We need more lanes to overtake traffic on our freeways. <laughs> right. well, we should call it the Mario Andretti lanes. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, sp- speaking of uh, lanes, um, Mr. Andretti, we understand you have a special speeding ticket uh, that you have framed in your trophy room downstairs. Can you give us a little bit of story on that? That was a that was a good one, I think. Uh, <clears throat> Speeding tickets? I never got any speeding No, tickets. of course not. <laughs> Probably not a one. We're right. <laughs> it's the other guy. That's right. <clears throat> I think it was the one that uh, the it was framed at 170 miles or clocked at 170 miles an hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, right. Well, <clears throat> I got, you know, I was just um, actually, uh, yeah, I, I got one situation where uh, I, you know, I was talked into something actually, but the uh, Nevada State Police was was a sergeant that uh, uh, he had in his bucket list. He wanted to do 200 miles an hour on uh, public highway, Mm -hmm. and uh, he was very good friends with uh, one of the Lamborghini dealers there in Las Vegas. And anyway, the long and the short, uh, I got talked into doing this, and uh, we went. We were on Route 15, and uh, it was a Sunday morning. Uh, hopefully, most people were in church, and uh, <laughs> and, and I'm booking on uh, Route 15, uh, going uh, going west, I think, uh, uh, and towards Lake Mead. And, and uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I get up to a you know a pretty good speed uh, on the speedometer. Anyway, over 190, 
And then I'm coming over to rise. I sort of backed off a little bit because of closing rate. You know, there was some traffic, and uh, and there was a, a state trooper. You know, as far as I could see, on the side, and he's just burning out on the <laughs> side. Somebody must have phoned in. Wow. <laughs> Some crazy idiot out there. And, uh, so <clears throat> I get pulled over, but I had a, a sergeant, you know, highway patrol sergeant oh, with wow. me on the seat. So when I pulled over, I think, well, I'm okay. Yep. And uh, so this uh, young trooper, you know, he, oh, my goodness, I thought he was going for the gun, and he was so upset. And uh, so I said to Sergeant, Sergeant, you know, talk to him, you know, you guys. So the the, the young trooper says to the Sergeant, he says, uh, you know, I, this is, sir, I'm going to have a reprimand on your desk tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy's cool, the cool that we're doing, you know, we're just, uh, he says, uh, we're doing a dry run for uh, the running of the bulls, you know, <laughs> raising money for police academy and all that. Yeah. And, uh <clears throat> And so the guy, uh, he said, okay, he says, uh, you know, you go, it's your responsibility. So I asked him, I said, uh, just, you know, uh, I'm curious. I said, how fast did you have me on the, on the radar? He says, 183. I said, so, okay, I'll keep that as a record. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He probably has that framed on his wall as well. I don't but, but the, uh, <laughs> 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 it was one of those. Sure. Um, another question for you here. Go, going back to the car, uh, we're, we're, we enjoy the, the physics of, of these cars here. In the racing circuits that you've been involved in, um, and getting specific here, are there camber settings for each different type of race car? And do all the tire circumferences have to be the same in the same race? Uh, you mean uh, the adjustments, the camber adjustments? Yes, sir. That's correct. No, I, quite honestly, a lot has to do with um, uh, the camber in, uh, change that you have in the suspension geometry. Um, you know, the static cambers vary tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and again, uh, even on a road course, uh, you always... Uh, you know, there's certain corners that I used to set up specifically for why certain corners where you can gain time and maybe sacrifice some some time on the on the slower corners mm-hmm. uh, because you can man, manhandle the car more. And uh, you're just, uh, you know, your cambers, uh, obviously you try to get uh, the, uh, the idea is to have the, um, the, the, uh, the tire, uh, the surface of the tire to, to get the full benefit, you know, when the car right. is, uh, you know, when the car actually is under the, the, the highest uh, um, loading through the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, that's when the, whether it's outside or inside wheels. And, and you know, here again, uh, that's why uh, during testing and during practice um, it's very important to check uh, your tire temperatures across across the, the, the you know the, the, the span of the tire mm-hmm. and uh, and you know inside versus outside and so on and so forth and and that's how you determine your cameras in general so. I see okay very but good. each car 
each car is, you know, in some ways, you know, there's not not a huge difference, but but you have to um, uh, you, you have to go by each car, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, depending, like I said, even the width of the tire and all that sort of thing. There's um, and uh, <clears throat> the construction of the tire. Uh, there's so many factors that oh, play into sure. that, but uh, but it's it's not a you know one size fits all or you know uh, if you if you have a you know like front uh, you know you go two two and a half three degrees negative rear one and a half whatever uh, that doesn't apply generally. Okay, gotcha. The intensity and focus it must take to compete at the highest level of racing is beyond comprehension to to most folks. Definitely me, and I'm venture to say Eric and Jason. Do you ever really, quote unquote, settle into a race? And would you share some of your techniques that you used to stay focused and to keep your adrenaline emotions under control when you're heading down that track at 200 miles an hour? Well, you know, uh, as far as, uh, you know, your emotions, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we all have, uh, you know, different makeup, different personality, different way of just looking at it. It's a very personal thing how you approach those things. And, uh, you know, to, to, to stay composed and, uh, uh, you know, how you deal with the preparation. And, uh, uh, again, you know, it's... Uh, you just try to number one, uh, you, you try to to prepare uh, the best way possible because the better you're prepared, the calmer you are, and the calmer you are, the clearer you think and all of that. You know when the split decisions need to be made, um, but it's something that's so proprietary that uh, it's. Very seldom you would share that with anybody for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes in idle talk, sometimes you learn something from somebody that just says something. Um, because um, there are always moments that uh, have caught out, you know, one of us. And then somehow you get involved in some conversation and and then, you, you know, you can hear how so-and-so reacted, uh, whether it was right or wrong. And there's always something that, you know, that you learn. But uh, uh, from that aspect, quite honestly, uh, you, you almost never uh, are faced with the same situation. So mm-hmm. so it's it's a moving target. You mm-hmm. always uh, you have to be prepared uh, for whatever is thrown at you, quite honestly. Okay. You know, and, uh, uh, and, and, and don't think that, uh, you know, things are going to repeat themselves. Uh, so that's why it's kind of a, a bit of a, a foggy situation there, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I always said, you know, if I if I knew all those things, I would bottle them and sell them. You <laughs> that's know, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it just uh, it's just not like that. Quite honestly, every experience is unique. I just wonder how many times that you had to give the universal "get out of my way" sign with your with your hand. And that finger <laughs> on the racetrack. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, speaking about different emotions on here, I know we've seen that you uh, give lap rides uh, at, at Indianapolis Speedway uh, during Indy Week. 
And I was curious, the, the people that ride in the back seat, they're excited and they're getting that thrill of being in the cockpit. Can Do you speak louder? I can hardly hear you. Uh, oh, no. I, I don't know no. what it is, but I can hardly hear you. Is this better, sir? That's a little better. A little yeah. better. Okay. Uh, I know that you still give lap rides at, at the Indianapolis Speedway during the Indy 500 week at times, and the back seat rider gets a thrill and a joy out of riding and getting that experience of being in the cockpit. Do you? What do you get out of that other than you get to drive some more, and do you have a special mirror where you can watch the facial expression of the person right in the back as you uh, step on it and get on it? <laughs> well, uh, I don't have time to... To watch it through the corners, quite honestly, you know. So uh, the one thing that I I try to do, uh, obviously, uh, try to be as safe as as possible, not only for the passenger but for myself as well. But at the same time, I try to uh, push the envelope as much as uh, as possible to give uh, you know a, a representative ride. Uh, and I wouldn't do it any other way. Uh, if uh, you know, if it was just a, an Uber ride, I would not do it. So, <laughs> right, uh, right. I think it's uh, I think uh, it's very special. The uh, uh, the cars that we're driving uh, in the experience that they provide. Uh, we have you know really the latest uh, you know and the one that I drive actually uh, they have a couple of those uh, where. The cars were designed and built by Dallara. I mean, they're just basically the same as the uh, the regular running cars. In the they're only stretched, so I get the quality of uh, the latest technology, and uh, the cars are very responsive because um, you know they're very uh, torsionally, they're very stiff, and uh, and uh, I can do, uh, you know, some setup work. You know, I'm limited on, on the setups that I can do on those things. But uh, but they, uh, I try to get mine as as, um, as balanced as possible, so I can I could really, uh, you know, maximize my my cornering speeds. And mm-hmm. and, um, and again, you know, it's it's uh, I, I I get a thrill myself out of getting the most out of the car in a very safe way. Uh, and, um, and so, yeah, uh, that's the only reason that I'm, I'm doing it. I mean, I'm enjoying doing that sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, and I think that, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful way to expose our sport. I think, uh, sure. uh, because, um, you get a, you get a pretty representative ride, uh, that, uh, I don't think you you know, unless you're driving a race car yourself, you would get it any other way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you. I've got a, a couple of history questions for you there, Mr. Andretti. It, at what point did your dad, who did oppose you in auto racing, accept your passion to pursue a racing career, sir? Well, you know, I, I must point out that uh, the reason that um, uh, my brother Aldo and I um, – you just had to keep, um, you know, f- uh, you know, the knowledge of uh, of us uh, even building a car, a race car to race locally from my dad is because, uh, you know, he, he was certainly not a race fan, but um, he, you know, he 
you could read the news, you could read the papers, right. and he, mm-hmm. he knew about, uh, you know, some of the fatalities, especially in the sure. 50s and 60s, especially in the 50s, you know, where, you know, he knew that uh, Aldo and I had uh, our idol, Alberto Scotti, one thing or another, and uh, he was killed just a couple mm-hmm. of weeks before we left for America. And so he knew, he knew. Uh, the only thing he knew about racing was that side of it, the morbid side. Right. And um, so uh, there's no way that while we were still underage, they would just say, oh, yeah, kids, go ahead, you know, build a race car sure. and all that. <laughs> uh, so uh, we didn't want to take a chance or even uh, thinking that maybe he would go along with us. So we just... Uh, uh, we, we felt that we had a little bit of a buffer right. uh, because we started building a race car about uh, uh, two years after we arrived in, in the United States. And uh, so we learned the, you know, the language a lot quicker than he did. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I knew that that was our buffer. That was our protection. <laughs> I got you. Even if people, you know, when we started racing uh, 19 which was in those days was young actually it was illegal to race professionally uh, you had to be 21 okay and, uh, and so uh, we went to some races and uh, my dad uh, you know sometime even at work you know his boss would say hey, you know just you congratulations your kids want he had no idea what that <laughs> so and and that was really our protection but uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the season when aldo had uh, his accident which uh, you know was pretty serious right. uh, uh, that's uh my dad learned that we were racing and uh so he felt somewhat vindicated, you know, mm-hmm. see, you guys are crazy and this and that. So, <laughs> right. uh, but he, uh, while Aldo was uh, still in the hospital, already started building a new car for the following year. And uh, mm-hmm. and so when he found out that, um, and Aldo had to take a sabbatical, by the way, because of his injuries, mm-hmm. and uh, for a year, for a whole season, sit it out. But when he mm-hmm. found out that, uh, that I was racing then you know then it was uh it was not very pleasant but uh but uh you know it it took until this was in 1960 when you know he really found out and Mm -hmm. it took until about 1964 when he attended the first race when i uh, had my uh, rookie race indycar race at trenton new jersey and um and i you know, I had never sat in that car. I never this and that. So, and 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 I, I, I forget where I qualified, but I finished eleventh. And he was disappointed. He thought that I, I should have won it. You, oh, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. There you, you go. Know. Oh, that's but, great. But you know, to, to you know, to fast forward, my dad, you know, became uh, you know along the way the biggest cheerleader for Aldo and I, obviously. Yeah. And when he realized that this was going to be, it's our calling, was our calling, and mm-hmm. and it was going to be our career. And then, of course, uh, you know, and I've had him, I've even had him travel with me to some Formula One races, especially when I went to Italy with Ferrari, and oh, he was sure. very proud. So Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. Great story. Uh, Mr. Andretti, do you happen to know where that 1948 Hudson Hornet is to this day that started all this? <laughs> No, I don't, because uh, actually it was destroyed the very last oh. race. Oh, okay, gotcha. On that one, yeah, and, and actually I built uh, two more. I built a coupe and uh, and a sedan later because uh, uh, the next the car that I built after the first one, the 
you know, the 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 Hornet. I I built a 37 chassis, but we, you know, we did a lot of work on it to strengthen. But we wanted a lighter lighter chassis, and um, and Aldo, you know, he um, he asked he like I said in the season that he didn't drive. Uh, he wanted to uh, mid season. He wanted to to do a little bit of have a you know a, a taste of it um, in Nazareth. Uh, uh, during intermission, they used to have between the heats and the feature, they used to have intermission. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got the approval from the promoter to let him do a few laps. And um, and he crashed that one, and he went end over end. I thought, oh, my goodness. Oh. And they destroyed that car. <laughs> but he, uh, he only had a broken finger on that one. Oh, wow. So, gotcha. And then I had to build another one. So uh, we... in. You know, as far as the sportsman stock car, I had a, I built three of them. We built three of them uh, to get me through, you know, the 59 and 60 seasons. Okay. Just 61, I started driving midgets and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And which car was your max speed recorded? And do you remember what power plant was powering that car? What car was what? Did you hit your max speed in? And what was the um, power plant in that car? I think uh, I think it was uh, had to be in uh, <clears throat> Michigan. Um, Michigan, I think, was 1993. Um, when I said, was it 93? Forget it. It was right. Uh, when I set a record, 230 it was 200. 34.7 miles an hour. Wow. 234 um, points. speed, there was 253. Wow. Um, and I thought that was, uh, in those days, qualifying, we used to pull about 950 horsepower wow. out of the engine. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so it was, that was really pretty thrilling, actually. Oh, sure. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, all right. And we're going to take a quick moment and ask our listeners to please check out our sponsor, G.D. Herring. G.D. Herring provides options on insuring not only your classic car, but for all of your collectibles. Please check them out at gdherring.com. And we're speaking with Mr. Mario Andretti. Uh, sir, uh, since you started racing, you've had your family beside you. And as your family grew, what does it mean to you to have generations of your family also racing? Are you talking to me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We were, we were I, asking. I couldn't hear a word you were saying. Oh, might well use his, uh, Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay, oh, sir. No. Sorry about that. We'll figure out our technology over here. And we were going to ask, uh, since you started racing, you've had family beside you. And as your family grew, what does it mean to you to have your family continue in racing? Well, you know, <clears throat> I think... Um, Let's face it, uh, you know, uh, the family, you know, my kids, they were born into this environment, you know, and, uh, and you know, it, it, I, I felt that um, uh, somehow, you know, being exposed along the way, you know, they would probably uh, uh, have uh, some desire to, uh, you know, to, to just, you know, do some of their own. I actually, I put my oldest son, um, Michael, in a go-kart at nine years of age. Right. <laughs> uh, and just, you know, just for the heck of it, you know, he, uh, sure. uh, 
uh, you know, we up to then, you know, I always have something, you know, powerful in, in toys or whatever. And um, and he always would handle all, like four wheelers and all that pretty well at that age. And I put him in a go kart and uh, and I and I I set up a course uh, behind uh, uh, the high school. You know, it was a big parking lot. And uh, and he really, you know, he was really looking pretty good. I mean, he was getting after it and pretty well. Then then he started racing, you know, in a junior category, and he was winning right away and mm-hmm. and then I moved him up pretty quick in fact uh, uh, he ran some national uh, events uh, when he was 12 years old and uh, and the age the age factor was uh, the minimum age was 14 and I had to sign him off oh okay and, uh, so he well, then he, he did I sent him to Europe he did some formula Ford racing and then uh, with this some testing and some um, you know the, the shifter carts there and, and things like that. So uh, he, Michael, it was no question that he wanted to continue. And then a couple of years later, you know, Jeff uh, was two years behind in right. age, mm-hmm. uh, did pretty much the same thing, and and that's it. I mean, I uh, uh, I can say indirectly, I encourage him. I I just um, uh, made this thing available for them. Uh, and but uh, they didn't have to do it. I tried, you know. I think I said it clearly enough that uh, you know, do it for yourself. Don't just try to do it because you think you're going to please me. Right. But uh, it was clear that um, you know they uh, they obviously you know they wanted to pursue something like this. Uh, and um, you know, Michael obviously uh, look at his record. You know, he was uh, he was darn good, really. Uh, one of the best I've ever raced against, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Jeff was uh, it was like my brother, not as fortunate. You know, seemed like he had, uh, you know, if something happening on the track was always happening in front of him or something, and uh, and then that accident in Indianapolis in '92, uh, I think, uh, yeah, it was '92, uh, where left rear wheel came off right during the race, and mm-hmm. he had the shunt. I mean, uh, he hit the corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he hit the, the wall in turn two, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, instrument. The cars were instrumented at the time, uh, and uh, it was eighty-seven point four Gs. Oh my Should not gosh. have even survived that. And um, he had a, a lot of damage to his legs. You know, several operations. So mm-hmm. that pretty much, uh, you know, did his career in the time. So. Like I said, it's uh, it was very unfortunate because you know Jeff had the same aspirations and as Michael and and my twin brother Aldo had the same dreams, same aspirations as I did, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work out for them. And that shows you how cruel the sport could be at yeah, times, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so those are the challenges that you're facing, you know, when you're pursuing uh, a career like this and Fortunately, the cars are much safer today, and that's been a, a very positive evolution in our sport. Um, very, being very responsible and in, in trying to uh, use the knowledge, uh, engineering, not only for performance, but also for safety. Mm-hmm. And um, that was paramount to uh, 
to have the sport flourish. Sure. So just that's goes where to we are. Uh, show how short the timeline can be in such a, a risky sport. Oh, right. Can you tell us what's your greatest career challenge that you faced in all your years of professional race car driving? Well, uh, the challenge is out there every day. There's not just uh, one situation. Uh, for me, I, uh, I, I look forward to, uh, uh, to trying different disciplines. That was my, the challenge that I, you know, that I welcome for myself. Uh, I think it's, um, uh, a little more convenient to just specialize in uh, one series, like, you know, single-seaters or open-wheel or whatever, like specialize in Indy cars or, or NASCAR. But I, I wanted to try, you know, uh, NASCAR and, uh, and with the top team that would give me an opportunity to bring results. And, and I, I derived so much satisfaction out of that. But uh, oh, sure. I really love those challenges because um, there's so much you have to adapt to and try to understand. And, uh, and at the end of the day, you know, when you feel you somewhat have your arms around it, you know, I just figure, Oh, I, I think it's sort of, uh, uh, uh it gives you, a, it increases your dimension of knowledge, um, that you can apply across the board, if you will. But, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough challenge, for instance, uh, for me that I did very limited, uh, like the stock car racing and then going to the biggest race in NASCAR, they have mm -hmm. Daytona mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, and compete with the best there is, all the icons, the Petties, the Yarboroughs, you know, the Pearsons and, mm -hmm. and so on. And, uh. And, and trying to beat those guys. Uh, I mean, my teammate was Fred Lorenzen, the golden boy of NASCAR at the time. Wow. And, uh, you know, to go out there and not just to race, but to try to, you know, to, to try to, to bring it home, you know, to, sure. to win. Right. Uh, it was a great challenge because, you know, my, you know, uh, I didn't know what they did as far as the setups of the car and everything else. And uh, but somehow, you know, uh, we had a we wound up with uh, a car that was, you know, fast. It was balanced and uh, it was a little loose, but it was still drivable. Uh, and and again, you know, Holman and Moody uh, as a team, they they gave me the equipment and uh, and I brought it home. You know, I uh, I led 118 of 200 laps. You know, mm -hmm. for that. In 67 for that 500 or so um, and that was that probably had the biggest challenge why because it's probably uh, uh, the biggest difference in feel of cars to go from uh, even uh, not only single seaters but going to from a sports car to a, to a stock car because of the weight factor and, and all that right and uh, so again um yeah, uh, and I, you know, the car was was good. You know, it had to be. You know, I just didn't perform any miracles myself, uh, but uh, I certainly uh, extracted everything the car had. You know, to be able to bring it home, bring it home first. Sure. Well, with uh, you, you obviously My did something. Fred Lorenzo finished second. You know, mm -hmm. in that race. 
Well, you did something right because you're only one of two drivers that have won a NASCAR race, Formula One race, and an Indianapolis 500. So uh, that's something to be said. So you right. you definitely have that natural ability to adapt to to what other whatever kind of car you're racing. Well, I don't know if I call it natural ability. I think uh, I think it's desire. It's a burning desire that drives you. Uh-huh. Uh, the passion and desire. I always say that. Um, you know, nobody's born with a steering wheel in their hands or uh, or anything else, you know, or, uh, you know, a football and you can, you know, pass it straight and hit your target. It's, a, it's something you develop because you love it. You just want to do it. And that was something that was in me. You know, I, I don't know anyone on this planet that love driving a race car more than I did and, sure. you know, more than I do. Right. Oh, <laughs> right. So. Right. What a thrill. Oh, absolutely. Mr. Andretti, who would be your biggest competitor? Well, there were many, you know, it's, uh, I was very fortunate to, uh, go through the decades, you know, on a, you know, different disciplines, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, IndyCar, Formula One. When I look back at uh, all the drivers that I, I was on the same track with, um, you know, I, I even pinch myself. You know, to mm-hmm. have had those opportunities, and and it's always, uh, you know, whatever, whatever category you break into, there's there's always someone that's, uh, you know, much better than you, and mm-hmm. and all that. But uh, you need that as a yardstick. Mm-hmm. to reach that you know you, sure. you have those ambitions you need to, to have the ambition to work hard enough do whatever it takes you know to reach the level uh i always say you know when i broke into the top level of indie cars mm-hmm. you know aj foy was the guy you know he he's the guy who was already established he was already champion and uh and so there were others, obviously, you know, at, at the same level, pretty much. But uh, you know, you you look at the one, and uh, and you figure, okay, if uh, if you can come up, you know, to his level, at at times, um, uh, you know, then then you know, you feel you're, like you belong, and uh, right. but it makes you work, makes you work hard. It gives you a target. And Formula One, when I broke into Formula One. Um, you know, my actually it was on pole my very first race, and who was next to me? Uh, he was, you know, Jackie Stewart, and uh, so uh, and that made me, you know, that was to me another incredible satisfaction, you know, because uh, at that point, you know, he was the guy, you know, he right. was the current world champion, and he was setting the standard. So um, here again, though, it's. Uh, there's there's so many that um, I've looked up to and still today, I mean, and they were the ones that really gave me the opportunity and and the and and put the true challenge to me to to try to reach that level somehow and uh, mm-hmm. and you know you don't always do it but you know at least you feel you know you're in the same arena and right. you feel like you belong there. Oh you know, sure. And, uh, when you're competing with them, so and 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 you're, you know what I mean. You feel like you get your licks in now and then. Right, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> so you've raced in Formula One, IndyCar, and NASCAR on road case road courses. 
dirt courses, pretty much every track and surface around the world. You've won 111 races, both open wheel and closed wheel, 52 just alone in IndyCar, which is just straight phenomenal. Do you prefer one type of racing, open wheel or closed wheel, over the other? Well, my preface, 100%, was always open wheel, single seaters. Mm-hmm. I mean, starting with midgets and so forth, and right. sprint cars and on. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I, here's the way I look at it. I mean, an open wheel, single seater race car is the purest form of the sport. I mean, it's not a derivative of anything. You know, that uh, uh, stock cars are derivative of what you drive to work with. You know, obviously it's a race car, but it's a derivative of that. Mm-hmm. They're heavier, they're slower, they're, you know what I mean, clumsier to drive, um, and they're not as pure as the single-seater. So that's, and even a sports car, you know, sports cars are as close as you can get to a single-seater, but still, they're heavier, you know, they're, you know, much bigger, much clumsier. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I compared, you know, the fighter aircraft versus the bombers, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. So Very good. Uh, I like the fighters, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and the single seaters are the ones that um, gave me the uh, the ultimate satisfaction. Um, I, you know, I get a chance to, uh, you know, I talk often with Jimmy Johnson, who is having a, a lot of fun, you know, in Indy cars uh, at the moment, and he's he just uh, I admire him so much for. Uh, uh, he, didn't, he wouldn't have to do this, you know. He has seven uh, stock car championships, and uh, you know he's one of the all-time greats in NASCAR. And uh, and here, he's, you know, he pretty much did everything he needed to do in NASCAR. And and here he's uh, he wants to have a go at uh, at a single seater, you know. Mm-hmm. Just to, and I love his reaction, you know, because uh, he's. Uh, he said, man, he said, it's uh, the limit, you know, you reach the limit of uh, uh, traction, adhesion in the stock car pretty fast, you know, as a driver. And in the single seater, man, you got to really press on. Sometime at the beginning, you think, oh, man, I didn't realize, you know, how quick these things are. Right. And all that. So that's what I'm trying to say, you know, it's, uh, that's why. Uh, my specialty definitely was single seaters, open wheel. Okay. And Mr. Andretti, we have uh, we've kept you here almost an hour. We have two more quick questions for you, if that's okay. We're going to turn this one over to Eric. It's one of his favorite questions he asks everybody here. Okay, you ready for it? It's, well, let's hear. It. Try to speak slowly so I can hear. All right. Uh, one question we have: When you first received your first driver's license did you have a driver's test and if so what car did you drive for your driver's test oh that was uh that was the first car the family had it was a, a 46 ford oh 1946 ford <laughs> very <laughs> and cool that was uh and that was in 1956 1956 okay 10 year old car and you know why i picked that why What's because that? Well, while I was just a young lad, you know, in Italy, um, the first American car that I ever saw 
was the 1946 Ford, a blue, beautiful 1946 Ford. So when we came to America, uh, obviously uh, we were going to buy a car. And, uh, and, I, and I said to my dad, my dad had no idea, you know, what I really, you know, we should get. So I talked him into getting a 1946 Ford. Oh, wow. <laughs> And that was our first car, and then he bought a '51 Buick after that. But, uh, but uh, anyway, and uh, huh. and and that's it. And that's what I took my driver's oh, test. That is so cool. Yep. Very cool. Yep. And uh, lastly, Mr. Andretti, um, what one person in automotive history would you have loved to have met, and why? That I would have wanted to have met. Yes, sir. I think I met everyone. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's true. That's, that's right. That's true. I think I, you know, to be honest with you, you know, that you mentioned it, um, if uh, there was one person that really, uh, I, I think the icons uh, of our sport, you know, that uh, that you could mention, uh, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet, uh, I'm sure that I missed out on on, on others, um, and uh, uh, but uh, but again, there's there's always someone that um, obviously mm -hmm. I must have missed out on. But uh, I'm sure that I had uh, my share. It was uh, just a, a few days ago. It was uh, Ed Welburn, uh, who was you know the top designer. In uh, at General Motors, you know, he's uh, almost uh, our neighbor here, and he moved out to retire. Uh, just recently, he moved, um, you know, in this area, and uh, and I said, what a incredible pleasure, you know, a guy that he, you know he's been he has designed the latest Corvettes and everything else, and mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, so he's he's one that uh, I you know I treasure. Uh, the opportunity to to have met him and so on and so forth because I'm a car guy, and but as far as the um, in racing, you know, uh, me, you know, having uh, driven for Enzo Ferrari, uh, Colin Chapman, uh, I even drove one race for Frank Williams and so on and oh, so forth. And, right, right. And these are all icons of of the sport that uh, have uh, created so many. Uh, world champions, and uh, uh, I'm sure I'm missing somebody here. But, uh, but along the way, um, I, I'm pretty satisfied that um, I covered that area pretty well. Oh, sure. Well, Mr. Andretti, uh, this has been an incredible opportunity for us. What a true pleasure and sincere privilege to have spoken with you this evening. And we are certainly grateful for your time sharing your amazing story and racing career with us. It, we certainly wish you and your family much continued su success and happiness. And uh, regrettably, we did buy some Andretti Montona 2015 Merlot wine, but it has not uh, been uh, received here yet for us to celebrate. But once it does, <laughs> we certainly plan to uh, open it and celebrate this podcast that we've had with you here this evening. So thank you so very much for joining <laughs> us. Very good. Yeah, thank you well, very it's much. My pleasure, guys. Yes. Thank you, I hope sir. I answered the question. I hope I heard all the, the questions the right way. <laughs> oh, you did. And, uh, again, this is just uh, an incredible experience for us. Uh, we're, we're in the corner of a basement in Louisville, Kentucky, 
talking to the best here, and uh, we certainly do appreciate your time with us here today, sir. It's been a great thrill. My pleasure, Ab- guys. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And you have a great day, okay, sir? You too. Thank Take you. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.